Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. I'm so happy to be joined by my next guest. She is an activist. Please give it up for Eliza Blue. Eliza, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you waiting for as long as you did. It, we we had to make this happen, and we made it happen. That's all. Yeah. That's all that matters. I'm My, excited to see you today because we haven't seen each other since Freedom Fest. That's right. We were at uh, Freedom Fest in uh, South Dakota. Yeah, so. we were, and uh, you did amazing. And I saw you're uh, scheduled to be there again this year. This year, we're there. They're uh, they're going to do it in Vegas again. Yeah, Las Vegas. I'm very excited. Well, excited and nervous because mm-hmm. you know I'm excited and nervous, but I'll be there again this year. Very cool. And and um, do you know what you're going to be doing? Do you have like your uh, your um, thing already? Your panel and all that already set up? Uh, I don't. We don't know about panels yet. Actually, I was going to recommend you and I be on the same one because I thought it'd be really interesting to sort of talk about. Um, how restriction, uh, censorship of comedians, activists, survivors, uh, whistleblowers, truth tellers, uh, sort of affects us all. So when you, if, you know, when you, so this is like my daydream. I'm speaking about human trafficking. I'm still, I'm going to do another speech about human trafficking. Um, and it's called the uh, human trafficking industrial complex. Mm. So it'd be pretty cool. Um, going to kind of go a little bit deeper into how everything works together. I might tell my story again. And, uh, but I was thinking you and I would be cool on a panel together about uh, censorship. Cause I, I speak out frequently about, uh, you know, I, there's a situation that happens a lot. I know, you know, and see it a lot where comedians are constantly attacked and, you know, uh, folks try to silence their voice. And I don't think people realize that when you call for censorship of, uh, you know, of individuals on that scale, it will negatively impact um, activists from around the world and uh, survivors like myself. So it's no, it's not a, I take it very seriously. You know, I've had, um, I've had conversations before with, uh, with other comedians and um, there's this thing that happens where, you know, if you're a comedian, you speak out against say like cancel culture, people think that, Oh, you just don't want to be criticized. And it's like, no, no, that, that there's a difference between being criticized and someone like, you know, calling for your post to be removed or for your account to be suspended. Or, you know, if you're a comedian, say like, you're not a full-time comedian, say you have a day job, you know, asking that you be, that you lose that day job. And Mm -hmm. it's something where it's like, look, when it comes to criticism, 
yeah, go for it. Like, um, uh, was it the other, the other day someone, uh, someone said in real life, Lou is an asshole. And, uh, and with, and, and my, uh, and he had a point because the, the, the little interaction that I had with this guy in real life, it wasn't even in real life. It was on like Facebook. Um, I think you can come away and say, yeah, you know, I think Lou is an asshole. Um, I'm o- I'm okay with that. I've ever met, actually, but okay. <laughs> well, I, I I appreciate that. Um, for, for for people who don't who don't know your story, who don't know um, the activism that that you do, uh, you know, how would you describe uh, what it is that um, that you do? And we, we want I want to get that right for sure. Yeah. No. Uh, well, it's always constant. It's constantly changing. Um, I'm a survivor advocate for those affected by human trafficking, and I am also a survivor of human trafficking. I also advocate for those that have been um, sexually assaulted and those that have survived domestic violence as well. Um, In 2020, I stepped forward as a public survivor leader. Uh, So that just means that I sort of stepped forward with my story and started tweeting about human trafficking predominantly because I was really nervous that the government's response to the global pandemic would increase the risk uh, for exploitation via labor and sex. And unfortunately, I was right. But I started tweeting about human trafficking and telling a little bit of my story here and there. It was never my primary focus. Uh, Advocacy was always my primary focus. And then um, it sort of took off. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, Now I'm a podcast host as well. Uh, So this is a new endeavor for me. I started a podcast. It's called the Eliza Blue Podcast. And uh, I really built it uh, because (sighs) there's a few reasons, Lou. There was a point during the Ghislaine Maxwell trial where Mm. I was trying to help one of the survivors of Epstein and Maxwell uh, book interviews, press interviews. Um, My goal with that, um, once I had talked to the survivor about it, was, you know, let's not necessarily focus on the corporate press. Let's try to go more towards um, the independent media space. Um, Nobody wanted to book her for an interview, Um, not for corporate press. Oh, my apologies with my notifications there. Um, Nobody wanted to book her for corporate press and nobody wanted to book her for independent media. Um, Big names. I'm not going to sell anybody out. Um, It was offered to everyone and it was not. uh, It was not accepted. And I was really disheartened by that because I'd had such an easy time, Lou, like getting booked for big podcasts and whatever, everything had come really easily to me. And Mm -hmm. I had never tried to help another survivor book interviews before like that at that scale. And uh, nobody wanted to touch it. And I still don't know why. Um, I don't want to cast too many stones. uh, But sometimes necessity breeds something new. So I made my own podcast. And I said to myself, I never I want to build my podcast up to the point where uh, no survivor ever has to go to the corporate media again. So if they don't want to uh, with their story. So, but I am in the building phase. Um, it's very new, uh, you know, 600 listens. My one, my latest one has 70 listens on YouTube. Actually, the first debut podcast went number 58 in its category. But, um, but you know, this latest one, you know what I mean? They're not like slaying or anything, but I see the potential there. And I feel like if I build it, they will come. So I'm doing a mixture right now between just really difficult, nuanced conversations with cool and unique people and also mixing in survivors of human trafficking, sexual assault and domestic violence as well. Well, I think, I mean, you know, you you could just look in the mirror at the career that you've built for yourself where, you know, the more that you, the more you've spoken up, you know, the more that, you know, people are attracted to, you know, come in and hear what you have to say. So, 
Um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not like a part of the old guard when it comes to podcasts. I'm still trying to figure this out, but, but I, um, you know, I, I I think having that mentality of, you know, if you build it, they will come is uh, is super important with, um, you know, I, I wasn't following the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I never watched the documentary and I, I wasn't following this trial, but you know, the obvious question is like, what, where are the, where's the black book? Where's the little black book of all the names of the people who were involved with this thing? It just seems like, you know, a complete, um, I don't know, um, blackout when it comes to asking that obvious question. And you would think like the kind of culture that we have too, like, you know, I mean, the amount of people who uh, were intrigued by the Jeffrey Epstein thing, not only for, you know, the the horrors that he committed, but also like that, you know, people just like dirt, you know, and they, they like something yeah. that you would think they would be all over this saying, uh, trying to figure out oh, who's, you know, who was involved. You know, um, well, a few things. Uh, there were a lot of people involved um, mm. and some have been held accountable, uh, you know, uh, in his in his own way, uh, Prince Andrew was just held accountable. He has to, you know, um, settled the lawsuit with Virginia Jufre, and uh, that was good. So he, I mean, I know that that to a lot of people that doesn't seem like he was held accountable, but he was to the extent that he could have been given that particular scenario. Leon Black, um, you know, there's there's the guy that just uh, passed away in France who was part of the Epstein sort of circle. Um, you know, there have been, there have been other individuals, um, Peter Nygaard, there have been folks that were affiliated with Epstein that are starting to be held accountable. So I don't think people always think like, oh, nothing's happening. Something's always happening. There's always new lawsuits coming down. There's always something happening. It just takes a really, really, really long time. And there are a lot of people covering up, mm. uh, you know, for all the individuals that were involved. Um, but there have been some, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that the, um, what's his name, Luke Brunel, that he had the ability to die by suicide in prison, but uh, in jail. But um, he was on his way to being held accountable for this Epstein situation. So this is like all of this stuff sort of ties together. Um, but I don't know if we'll ever fully know. I, my my biggest wish would be that somebody from the FBI uh, would come forward as a whistleblower um, and just sort of spill the beans once and for all. That's always been my hope right along, because I think getting the entire story at this point um, isn't likely through traditional means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who advocates for a whistleblower? But that is definitely uh, something that I hope happens. Yeah, I uh, I think I tweeted this out um, to you a while back where um, like your Twitter feed, right. <laughs> is it, it's like, it's not, I forgot. I said like, look, I know I need to like take a break from Eliza's Twitter feed. For, yeah, uh, it was right yeah. It was a holiday season. You were like, yo, she's too much right now. I, I, yeah. It, it, and, and because it's a thing where like, I had, it must be because I don't follow this stuff and you know, you're so, you're so in, you know, in deep in this stuff, how every single day it's just, it's, it's nonstop. Not even every day. It seems like every minute there's some guy getting busted for child pornography. Uh, there's, then you also, you also shared um, um, missing children and stuff like that. It's just a, it's just a constant endless stream of sort of like the worst aspects of humanity and i know that 
you know, it's important for you to be, you know, to be doing that. Like how, how do you handle it? You know, yourself being a survivor confronting, you know, this happening to other people, you know, every, you know, every minute, it seems like. You know, I was really reluctant to step forward. That was never one of my goals. Mm -hmm. Like I never wanted to be in public. Now I'm more settled in. Like now I'm like, okay, I'm more uh, relaxed about it. I'm like, okay, this is obviously the way it's going to be. So you better book, like just become cool with it um, for myself. But, you know, I look at the fact that I've been able to build a platform and I'm not the most popping out here or anything by that. But I mean, for what I've been able to do in a short period of time with the topic that I discuss, mm. uh, I've done really well. And I look at that. Um, OK, this is a free gift that was given to me. All I did was show up. So now I have to I feel a sense of urgency to give back uh, and. Part of that is using my platform to the best of my ability. That's really what I try to do, Lou. But, you know, I, I actually felt that tweet, you know, it, when you tweeted that and I totally felt that tweet, it did give me a moment for pause because um, I'm no I'm, I'm all gas, no breaks with it. To me, the time mm -hmm. is there's no time to waste with this. It's get as many stories out there as we can. Um you know, um, if, a, if a child goes missing, time is of the essence. We right. you know, got to try to find that child and get them the services that they deserve. Um, you know, other survivor stories deserve to be heard. So um, for me, and I totally felt when you said that, I was like, because I'll be uh, Christmas morning. I'll wake up Christmas morning on my birthday. I wake up and do it on my days off of work. I wake up and do it. If I wake up at two o'clock in the morning, I wake up and do it. it it's... Um, it sucks for me. There are times like um, yesterday I had done two podcast interviews. I made it home and I was exhausted and I started uh, going through the news. So what I do is I sift through all the news globally for the day and all the missing people, all the missing persons and all the missing children. And um, every news article from around the globe that I can get my hands on that would pertain to the issues that I discuss, like sexual assault, um, child sexual abuse material, human trafficking, and domestic violence. And then from there, I only post about 120th of what I see. And I wow. sort of collect. Um, some are, even for me yesterday, there was one um, that was too much for me to even I couldn't do it. I didn't want to do that to my followers, I, which sucks because it's a it's a double edged sword. It's like, do, do people deserve to know the truth of what's going on out there? Or are you going to because what I don't want to do, because I know a lot of survivors follow me, is um, I don't want them to feel like things are hopeless. I don't want them to feel like mm. um, the world is a horrible place. Now, right now, while we're re recording this, we um, the world is dealing with Ukraine, Russia situation. So what I what I'm trying to do is navigate through that because that news cycle is so heavy, so dark, so intense. Um, it's sort of I don't want to send other people off, you know, on a tailspin. I also tried to tweet out a lot of resources as well for survivors um, and also the suicide lifeline as well. Um, I've gotten a little bit of pushback about that uh, because sometimes people just I don't know why they don't want to see it. Sometimes I tweet out resources for veterans. Um, all types of stuff, Lou, mm. I think anything that I think will help people. And then intermix with that, you have my base takes about how much I hate the government. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, we could, we could talk, um, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit about that and, and how the two, you know, uh, you know, mm. come together. Yeah. Um, you know, what has your experience been as far as, 
uh, sex trafficking and, you know, government and, and what role, you know, how's the government doing as far as fighting it, you know, and, and all that. Well, zooming out, we're making a lot of progress with the movement. And that kind of goes back to the Epstein Maxwell case. Um, we sort of hit our hockey stick as a movement uh, once that case came to light. Uh, the real question was, once that case came to light, how do we steer that, navigate that conversation and harness that energy into getting people to pay attention to the crime as a whole? I think as a movement, we've done pretty well. And I am more hopeful now than I have ever been. Um, the awareness that um, survivors like myself and other advocates have been able to raise over the last few years has been phenomenal. Um, I'm very happy about this because before, Lou, when I was first trafficked as a teenager, we did not have the language to put to this crime. We were just in the United States writing our first laws in, here in the United States about the crime. There was no language to put to it. So a lot of times people ask me when I'm telling my story, why didn't you ask for help when you were a teenager? I was 17 years old. I didn't know the language. I didn't know what had just happened. Hmm. You know, so um, as far as the government's concerned, um, a few things. Um, I'm ANCAP, so um, and a registered libertarian. So, uh, you know, I want the government involved as little as humanly possible. The way I usually explain that to folks that are like minded is, you know, we really messed up the war on drugs and we're kind of doing the same thing with the trafficking space. Um, you know, if you look at drugs, oil, um, illicit guns, you know, illegal guns and humans in that way. Um, we are really dropping the ball, but um, I always abide by what our standard is now. So I don't push my personal political views um, into, um, you know, into whatever we're doing as far as, does that make sense? Like I always, mm -hmm. abide by law. I always follow the rules um, with that. Um, law enforcement could be better trained. Of course, um, the government's dumping a lot of money into this issue. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not always going to the right places. It's mm -hmm. bad, Lou. And on top of the fact that, you know, we we support 22% of the United Nations um, and the United Nations has a long history of child sexual exploitation. Um, I, 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 yeah, I remember, I think I may, I may have um, saw the link uh, when, when you shared it, the, the idea that the UN was like keeping, what were they, they were having children perform sex acts on them in, in exchange for food, right? Something just really just horrific Very young children yeah um and then well. it's not it wasn't a small situation and it wasn't an isolated incident and then the way that the un has handled it so i mean like i said we we supported united states we support 22 percent of the united nations and as far as i'm concerned i don't like paying for child sexual exploitation with my tax dollars especially not as a survivor so and especially not as an advocate so you know these are the types of ways that we really um drop the ball um, there's always a lack of services. Um, there's a lack of services for certain populations. Um, but I don't want to give a full doomer uh, picture. We are making progress. We just need to make more progress. And as far as I'm concerned, the government messes up everything. So I'd like them as out of the way as possible. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think are, you know, some, you know, non, you know, governmental, um, uh, you know, uh, Oh, solutions, I, I guess, uh, I guess to this, or, you know, what can more, you know, people be doing out, outside of that? Yeah. So the goal is to prevent the crime before it happens in the first place. So a lot of that can be done at home. Uh, strong families, um, you know, 
educated caregivers and families and educators, um, community leaders. And uh, that's the first thing. It starts at home and with neighbors in that small community. Um, when we protect our youth and other vulnerable populations, they are less at risk to being uh, exploited in the first place. Um, so the number one thing, of course, is education, prevention, and awareness. All of those things you could do without the government. Also, as far as uh, offering safe services and providing survivors aftercare so that they don't go back to their abuser or don't feel a need to go back to their abuser. We can do all of that as far as I'm concerned without the government. Unfortunately, right now, a lot of the organizations are um, reliant on grant funding. So the way that that works, Lou, is that if, um, if the grant says that I can buy office furniture with the grant money, even if a survivor walks in and needs a place to stay that night, I cannot use that money that's allocated for uh, for office furniture to serve that survivor that night. So we might be fully out of money to give a survivor a place, a safe place to stay that night. And if all the safe house beds are full, we still can only use that money to buy office furniture. It's ludicrous. The hmm. government messes up everything, you know? So um, that's just one example. Um, you know, like they put millions of dollars into figuring out how, uh, you know, climate change is going to affect, you know, human trafficking years down the road. I mean, we need places for survivors to stay tonight, especially uh, boys, men, trans folks, indigenous folks, of course, girls and women. Um, but, you know, we need places for people to stay and get the, the healing that they deserve. And, you know, I always try to remind people when a survivor has an opportunity to be free, you never know what they're going to do. I've seen survivors do absolutely incredible freaking things. I mean, I know survivors that just pass the bar exam, you know, survivors are going to go on to do amazing freaking things and uh, don't underestimate us. But when you give us a chance to be, we have to have that opportunity to be free. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, currently, like what? Um, well, well, for for when I maybe just asking the question, uh, you know, what is you know sex trafficking? You mm. know, as 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 it's supposed to be defined, because um, yeah. well, a lot of I guess normies like we hear that, and we're not really, I'm not really sure what what that entails. You know, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, the definition of human trafficking is force fraud or coercion for the sale of labor or sex. So sex trafficking is under that umbrella of force, fraud or coercion for the sale of labor or sex. Um, so sex trafficking would be the sex trafficking component of human trafficking. So you can be one or you, you could be a labor trafficking victim. You can be a sex trafficking victim or you can be both. And anyone under the age of 18 engaging in commercial sex acts for anything goods, uh, financial means, anything like that uh, under the law in the United States is always considered a victim of human trafficking. Uh, also included would be, you know, child sexual exploitation material, uh, child soldiers. The UN definition includes the black market sale of human organs in the United States. The black market sale of human organs is considered a different crime, forced, be forced begging. Um, labor trafficking can go into all different types of ways. Like, you know, we could see it at nail salons. We could see it, um, you know, doing yard work. We could see it in the hospitality industry, restaurant industry. Um, you know, it kind of goes a little bit of everywhere. Even um, some of the, and I admit this a lot of times on Twitter, because I never want anybody to think I'm per perfect. You know, even some of the ways that my iPhone was made, um, Nikes, things like that. Um, human trafficking takes on many different forms. It's, you know, a lot of times it just comes down to exploitation. 
Mm-hmm. And um, when, so it's when a very were, term, which I think is really yeah. hard to understand. I didn't realize how little folks understood till I started doing interviews, or, or actually till I started getting on Twitter. I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is like, and it's a really hard time to, for for people to understand. If I have my way, once again, government's in the way. If I have my way, the crime would be broken up into separate crimes. Um, you know, so for me, for instance, I sort of focus on survivor aftercare. And then I also focus on child sexual abuse material in the digital space, particularly on our social media, big tech platforms. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I just imagine there must be, you know, one of the big barriers to, to this and discussing this is just the incredible stigma attached to, to victims where a lot of victims don't want to speak out or, you know, get on, start their own podcast, you know, and, and, and put their, you know, put their stuff out there. Um, do you see that, that changing? My experience is definitely, I would say probably been a little bit unique. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's difficult to speak. I don't, um, we're getting there, but it's slow. Mm -hmm. We're getting there. It's slow. You know, I think that, you know, a lot of times I relate the anti-trafficking movement to the domestic violence movement. You know, before, back in the day, like back in the 80s, we were like, oh, why doesn't she just leave? Oh, why this? Now, as a society, and the same with the sexual assault movement as well, you know, the survivor space and the sexual assault movement, we kind of had changed some of that language, I think, around the survivor space. As far as trafficking goes, I think the number one thing when survivors step forward, they're just simply not believed. These conversations, the stories sound ludicrous i think almost to most people but like literally lou like you were saying earlier like you could spend three days following me on my feed this is like corporate press i'm posting this is like nbc you know uh forbes this is like real stories um that are happening all the freaking time so it doesn't it shouldn't to me sound that ludicrous um you know school teachers every week i probably post i think I don't even want to know how many school teachers, I mean, mm. probably at least three school teachers a week getting arrested for having child sexual abuse material. Same with the police. Um, you know, this is a really, really big problem. And it sounds ludicrous. Like, oh yeah, a teacher would have this or, oh yeah, the police are involved in a trafficking. <laughs> it sounds ludicrous, right? To a normal person. But the truth is when you dig in a little bit, um, and there have been some things that haven't helped us out along the way. Um, you know, over sensationalized. Um, mm-hmm. I hate using the word conspiracy theory because I'm, I'm a total conspiracy theorist, like for fun, <laughs> you know, but uh, not for fun, but you know, I like to go down the rabbit hole for fun. Um, but, but there have been some folks that take it a little too far and hyper sensationalize or hyper focus on the elites um, while not really understanding what the crime looks like as a whole, especially in the United States. Um, but my experience, Lou, I mean, all in all, I couldn't be more, I couldn't be more blessed. I mean, I really couldn't with the way people have received me. Uh, but when I stepped forward in, in 2020, I said, okay, like, if you're going to do this, you have to be ready to take on the good, the bad, the ugly. Whatever the ugly is, you got to be ready for it. And whatever the good is, you got to be ready for it. And um, 
just try to be myself and just remain consistent and try to be as honest as I can and be just be myself. And I think people have enjoyed watching me sort of bloom a little bit because I never thought I was smart enough to talk in public. That was part of what the big deal was with me. I never I would never thought I was intelligent enough. And then when I started speaking, people were like, you're pretty good at this. Mm. And when I tried more, then I got a little bit better, a little bit better. And I was like, dang, maybe it's, I, I don't know. I don't know. Some people do attack. Yeah. That a lot of people don't believe me and that's fine. They don't have to. Um, I know my story and um, the people that I, matter to me know. So that's what matters to me and survivors know, you know? Yeah. So you, so you, you were 17 when, when it started, how old were you when you finally got out? Yeah. So I was group as they started grooming me at age 15. Um, but it, yeah. this is back in the day, Lou, this is before cell phones. This is, you know what I mean? We, there was no Facebook, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe to, like grooming, like what the, you know, what that means. Yeah. It's a process where the abuser starts to identify a victim and figure out what their vulnerabilities are and ways that they can exploit them and start to gently push the boundaries a little bit, little bit, little bit. Um, you know, in my particular case with the first abuser, um, I thought that he was a photographer in Los Angeles. He sold me the dream. I was homeschooled. So I was very naive um, as far as what the real world really looked like. Um, and he told me he wanted to make me a star. I graduated early and moved out to Hollywood, California, very young age. And uh, right, almost right away, I was uh, sex trafficked as a minor. And uh, so how I was able to get away that time. I'm, I'm sorry, just, just one sec. So when it's sex trafficked, was was that mean having sex with him or having sex? Was he like, like a pimp or, or something like that? Like... Yeah, he was a trafficker, but part of that grooming process and breaking down those boundaries and barriers was um, engaging in some sexual activity with him. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it was, there was also other things too, Lou. Like I didn't come from a household of abuse. I wasn't a sexually active teenager. Um, I also hadn't been in a home where drugs or alcohol was involved. But I also, too, went out to Los Angeles thinking I wanted to be a rock star. And I was like, okay, rock stars have beer, you know, and then when the drugs were introduced. So my inhibitions were lowered and um, I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was really scared. And, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I wish. I don't know. Sometimes I wish I had done things differently, <laughs> but I'm just regardless of what I did then. I think I did the best I could do probably to survive. So I was really scared, but he did sell me. So he, I guess he, yeah, that's a good point. He acted as an abuser and as a trafficker as well. So he sold me to someone else. So um, I was able to get away um, that time because I had a drug overdose. So oh, I was, left, I was left for dead uh, as a teenager. I was left for dead and uh, I was taken to Cedar Sinai in West Hollywood, California. And well, I guess it's sort of on the border of Beverly Hills and, West Hollywood, but I went to Cedar Sinai and, um, you know, I wish that I had been honest then. Cause I feel like maybe I would, but I thought I was going to get in trouble, like maybe arrested or something. So I, 
I didn't know, but I had also never talked to anybody from the police. Like I'd never talked to anybody from police. Like I'd never dealt with any police. But now I've had a couple more run-ins, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know, I got out that time. It was good, but that initial trauma was there, Lou. And that's the thing. I, even though I hadn't come from a household of abuse, um, that initial trauma was there where I sort of thought that was all I was worth. Mm. Right then and there, I thought that was all I was worth. And everything in me was sort of sucked down from that point on. And unfortunately, I fell into the lifestyle again a second time as an adult. Um, I went to a strip club to be a cocktail server. And they told me I couldn't, uh, that I couldn't be a cocktail server unless I auditioned to dance. So this is a point, and I like to make this distinction very clearly. This is a point where I was a willing uh, adult entertainer. So I like to distinct that because there's a definitely a difference between human trafficking and being a willing adult entertainer. Um, just because you're a willing adult, consenting adult entertainer does not mean that you're being trafficked. But unfortunately, I did meet my second trafficker through that lifestyle. And um, it sort of snowballed again from there. But those boundaries were already broken. I already thought I was trash. I didn't think I was worth anything. And um, unfortunately, when you meet a good trafficker, um, and I hate to call them that, but there's really no other, it, They, when they're good at their job, they will make you feel like that's all you are, that that's all you have to offer and make you very dependent on them. So unfortunately, in the second case, um, I was suffering from extreme trauma bonds and Stockholm syndrome with my abuser. That was harder to break than anything else. Um, so... You know, uh, coming out of that, I mean, I suffered a lot of consequences as a part of my, uh, in my life. I was, like I said, I was arrested multiple times. I went to jail. Um, you know, I was beat up a lot, um, almost died. I was drugged, uh, sexually assaulted, uh, multiple, uh, violent things have happened. I have permanent scars on my face. People don't know that, but I do. Um, and there's just some long-term effects there that really kind of did me in, but there was something inside me that was just, I just didn't want to die, Lou. It's mm -hmm. just, I, you know, it's like, oh, just try to stay alive. I didn't have any hope. I was very extremely hopeless. I was, I, I don't know why I wanted to stay alive because I had nothing to really live for, but there was this small little voice in me that just kind of told me to keep going, keep going, keep going. And every day I wake up and I just felt like the walking freaking dead. I was just dead in the eyes. I was dead in my life. I had nothing to look forward to. And um, so I was at a breaking point and I saw a survivor on YouTube. And I had never heard. When, when, when was this around, around what year? was this? That's a good question. And, you know, I'd have to look up. I'm sure I could look up the actual um, video. video. Yeah, it would be cool, actually. I've, I've never... And also, too, I could look up the email I sent because that would have the actual date on it. I read that all the time. But, um, you know, that's one thing. I'm not going to lie, Lou. Like, one thing that kind of sucks about all of my past, um, my memory is patchy. It's not like patchy in a way where I can't put together reality, but things like years. Um, there's a lot of other things too. Like I couldn't sometimes tell you which came first. <laughs> I think I'm slowly starting to um, get my mind to where it probably could have been. I mm -hmm. think, um, you know, I never talked about this much. 
never talk about this much, but when I kind of think if I've ever talked about this in public uh, in this way, but when I was trafficked the first time as a minor, when I got free, I had lost like the ability to write and I wasn't, I couldn't think right. Does that make sense? Like I couldn't yeah. write. The first time I noticed it, because you're going to laugh at this. First time I noticed it, I was trying to write a check and I couldn't write. And I also remember sitting there uh, with someone who was trying to help me and I didn't remember how to order food. Wow. So, like things like that were really, um, and I was a, closer to being an adult than a teenager, you know, my mind was done. You know, um, I think it was just the impacts of trauma. I'm kind of glad I talked about that today today because I it will give me a lot to think about or maybe blog about. But, um, yeah, it, it kind of sucks in that way. Um, but that's how broken I was. People, I think people see me now, they think like, oh, she's normal or whatever. Well, they don't think see me. I think, <laughs> you know, they see me and think like, oh, you know, um, I don't know what they think, but I think they... I don't think they can see it, the problems, and that makes that that makes me feel good. But it, 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 and I think you know, like like you, like you said earlier, like when you tell your story, like a lot of people don't believe it, and I think part of that might have to do with you know how you come off today, where it's like you know you are put together, you are a public speaker, you are doing this stuff, where it could be tough for people to think like, oh my god, she went she went through that, you know. Yeah, I could. De I mean, no, I definitely uh, see how people. <laughs> I don't really care what people think. Yeah, but I tell my truth, and you know, I always told my best friend because she was always my best friend's really supportive. I'm always like, you know, if it ever really came down to it, like I could bring out my um, in intake slip for my first survivor safe house. Like, you don't go to like a survivor safe house and fill out an intake and like not be a survivor. It's like not a thing you do. Um, you don't go to those links. And also I think I was private from all those years. I was a private survivor, not, not in public from the time I went there till like 2020. So that I would have had to have been a 5d chess player or something to like, and also it's not like I make money doing this. Like mm -hmm. that's the other thing. Like I make money uh, for working, but I don't make money for public speaking. I don't make money. I'm definitely losing money on my podcast. Um, I don't make money. So like, that's the other thing too. It's not in it. I, I don't know. But anyway, long story short is <laughs> long story short is, um, we got to find a way for Eliza to make money and for I'm me trying. to make money too. So, right. <laughs> so if you have any extra money, um, you know, I don't mind. I don't mean, I don't mind not making money. I just can't put a lot of extra money because I don't have a lot of extra money. So that's kind of my thing. Um, and I am compensating any survivor that comes on my podcast. Um, not a ton, but just uh, something. It's sort of uh, in the survivor space. Uh, it's sort of seen as like you don't really have a survivor relive their trauma for free. So I just pay, my, pay the survivors that come on my podcast. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, at your, your talk that you gave at, at Freedom Fest, um, did you did you talk about were you in like massive debt because of the your trafficker like just can you just talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Yeah, because yeah. um, I made some progress since then, Lou. So yeah. I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to talk about it. But yeah, when I left my former abuser um, the second time, like the second one, um, and just just for 
if there's any survivors listening, like, please uh, just know I returned to my former abuser multiple times. Um, like I said, I was very in that uh, Stockholm syndrome uh, trauma bond relationship. So if that's something that you're going through, like, please keep trying, please keep going judgment free. If you decide you want to leave, um, you know, the human trafficking hotlines, 24 hours a day, 365 days, you know, so it's, it's all mm -hmm. the time. And then um, same with the domestic violence and sexual assault hot, hotline. So um, please reach out if this is a conversation that affects you in any way. And you can reach out to the hotline if you've experienced past or recent trauma. So it doesn't have to be just like your traffic now. Even if you just listen to this and it triggers something from your past, um, please reach out to a trained advocate. Um, you can call confidential and judgment free. Um, but yeah, my former abuser had racked up close to $100,000 of debt in my name. Wow. Yeah, my the survivor that sort of um, that I found on YouTube always says, when you leave your pimp, you leave with nothing. And I said, girl, when I left my pimp, I left with less than nothing. So I left real. And that's another thing, too. You know, you things look so grim and so dark blue that you almost stay there because you're like, OK, well, now how am I going to make these like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? A trafficker will make sure you have most traffickers will make sure that you have bare minimum except necessities because they need you alive and they need you good so that they can continue to make money off of you. So they'll give you what you mm. need, you know, um, but just enough to keep you alive and to keep you for what you're needed for. Um, but yeah, I left, I left with less than nothing. Uh, I am down now, Lou. Ugh. I think I'm down to 6,000. Uh, what am I down to? Oh my God. That's amazing. Thanks Lou. That's yeah. Incredible. Lou, it was hard work. It was hard work. It was like every month pay every month pay. Um, you know, you actually, this will break your heart. I don't know if I went into this, uh, with at freedom fest, but when I went to the survivor safe house, I wasn't able to work. Um, that's sort of one of the issues that we have um, in the survivor space. So when I went to the survivor safe house, I wasn't able to work. It was a pretty strict program. I wasn't allowed to have a phone. I wasn't allowed to like, I had like a call list and if somebody sitting there on the phone with me while I made phone calls, it was basically like jail essentially, but way nicer of course, and with programs. But um, I wasn't able to work. So I defaulted on the payments that he had racked up and I actually got taken to court. Um, because of that. So there are a lot of these ways that abusers sort of kneecap uh, survivors. And once you do stuff like that, especially like a lot of survivors have a record, a uh, criminal record. I was fortunate in the way that every time that I went to jail, it wasn't too bad. Um, but well, the jail wasn't fun, but it wasn't like, so, you know, uh, if you're arrested for a prostitution or something like that, you have to register as a sex offender. It's like all these issues, all these ways that abusers continue to abuse you and keep you under their thumb. What, what, did you have to, did you have to register? Um, no, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. No, I wouldn't be able to be an advocate if I, if I had, um, but a lot of survivors do have issues like that. Mm. So, and it's one way that these abusers keep them coming back because how are then you every job you go to if you decide you want to leave your former abuser and go get a job how can you you have to put that on your job application right and and you know i'm just trying to think like what kind of guys these are you know obviously they're bad they're bad guys but mm -hmm. you know are there characteristics that 
they share, like something for people to be on the lookout for? Or, you know, if like say, you know, say you're a guy like me, or you know, you're a married guy and you know, you happen to see something or a, a, a relationship between, you know, a guy and a girl that are there any, you know, kind of red flags to sort of go off, you know, so, you know, people who are, you know, on the outside looking in things that they could spot, you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, first anybody can be a trafficker. So men and women can both be traffickers. Um, we see a lot of this um, parents can be traffickers. Uh, so this is very uh, common. Yeah. If there's drugs involved, um, rural areas. Uh, but as far as anybody else, um, the types of things you would look for would be, you know, I'm trying to think because I hate to generalize. You know what I mean? Because it could be it, the problem is when I start to generalize, it could literally be anyone. But what I always say, like, you know, trafficking, the grooming spot usually starts with somebody selling someone else the dream. Um, when you look time and time again, story and story and story again, a lot of survivors, most survivors, and this I will go on a limb and say, thought that their trafficker was their boyfriend mm. or a significant other. Uh, so that's always a pretty big red flag when someone that you think is your significant other starts asking you to do things um, that you're not comfortable with for money. That's a big red flag. It's mm -hmm. a big red flag. Um, you know, abusive tendencies, isolation, of course, any type of physical abuse, um, any type of sexual abuse from within the relationship always could get bad. Um, it's, uh, you know, I. so if you go to like, let's say hypothetically, I was like using the Epstein case because it's, um, every a lot of folks know it. So in that case, the grooming situation was, they would spot a vulnerable, you know, woman or child and then start to build the relationships through other, um, you know, trafficking victims or through uh, females that would sort of break down those boundaries and barriers. But um, why would a very rich man be getting a massage from a 14 year old, 15 year old, as opposed, especially with he could have afforded to get a massage from the most from the best, most world-renowned masseuses, period. Yeah. Would you be paying teenagers to come over? Um, it's just off. But in his case, he was using females to sort of make that first contact to break down those boundaries and barriers. But anytime someone's offered something that's too good to be true and start selling someone the dream, that's a big red flag. Same with uh, labor trafficking as well. You know, oh, if you come to the United States, um, you're going to have a job. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. You're going to make $2,000 a week doing this job. All you got to do is get over here. We'll make sure you have um, all everything you need. Yes, your family can stay with you. You know, no, they're not going to take your kids. They sell people the dream. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about my wife um, for second when we first started dating, because you bring that up and all right, everyone's going to be like, Lou, why are you bringing up your wife right now? <laughs> No, I'm cool with it. Let me, let, me, let me explain. Let me explain why. So um, my wife and I, we met in New York, right? And we had, we were uh, dating. We, we really kind of like fell for each other really quick. And about like three weeks into a month, I told her that I originally told her I was bi-coastal. And then about 
three weeks or a month in, I was like, I'm actually going to be moving to LA. Right. So I ended up moving to LA. We did um, a long, long distance relationship for a year. Right. Um, which people ask me, you know, how did you do that? And looking back, I don't know how I did that. I don't know. I was so in love that I was willing to do, you know, something completely out of, out of the ordinary. I would, you know, um, but then, you know, after that year, my wife moved out, um, to be with me Cool. and yeah, which, which is cool. And now what you were, what you've been describing, you know, of these, of these situations, I look back and I'm like, my wife moved out to LA, no job. Right. She's not a, she's not a wealthy person. Right. She's going to, you know, stay with me. She didn't have a car. Right. And it's like, uh, you know, obviously we've been married a, a while. The relationship worked out, whatever problems we had, especially early on, like, I think it was like a week she went without a car. Like we, I was after yeah. a week of driving around, I was like, you need a, you need a car in LA. <laughs> especially in LA. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it's, but I'm looking at it. I'm like an example of, oh my God, if I was like a piece of shit, you know, and this one, and this woman was coming out, you know, to be with me, look at the situation she's in. She doesn't have you know, she doesn't have a lot of money on her. She can't just, she can't just, you know, go and, 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 you know, get a new apartment if, if this thing doesn't work out, you know, and it's like, man, that's a real, and, and she took a huge leap. You know I mean? We both took a chance on each other, but well, she took a huge imagine leap. imagine if you had been grooming her and if you had right. 10 other um, women that you had been swooning and you're Mr. Right, you're Mr. Perfect, you're funny, you're, mm -hmm. you know, charismatic, um, you know, just imagine if she gets out there now up the ante a little bit more. What if she was an undocumented individual or somebody mm -hmm. that couldn't go to the police for whatever reason? Um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty scary. I don't want to say, you know, and I never want when people hear me to think like, oh, don't fall in love. Don't go on a date. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's, look for red flags and above and beyond anything else. Trust your gut period. And as far as, I mean, like that sounds insane, but I swear on my life, Lou, every single survivor, when they're telling their story, if they can remember says, I knew right then something was mm. wrong. And there was a moment where it was like, Oh, I knew I shouldn't have gotten into the car. Or I knew, I knew something was off and I didn't listen to my, you know, I didn't listen to that voice. Um, and not that I'm blaming the survivors at all. It's not never their fault, but I'm, I think that it's, that's important to know, you know, if yeah. you think something's often same with your kids too, if they start acting cagey, um, not, you know, definitely pay attention to what your children are doing online. The apps that they're mm. into change every day, you know, <laughs> we're all boomers. So we like these boomer, <laughs> boomer social, but, um, but the kids are using different types of communication apps and the predators, listen, pedophiles and predators are hip to where your kids are going to be regardless. If the kids are on a brand new app that was just put out today called ABCDEFG, that's where those pedos are going to be. So know exactly what's happening. Stay up on it. You have to be, you have to care more about your kids and be more mindful of what your kids are doing than these pedophiles. And trust me, they're, they know what they're doing. Yeah. I, uh, so I, my, my son's going to be two and one of my sons, the oldest is going to be two. The other one's going to be like five months and, you know, so they're very young, you know, so it's just, you know, they just have to deal with us and we just have to deal with them. Um, 
but I'm thinking like, you know, when I go out and I see like teenage, like, um, like especially like young teens, like, you know, 13, 14, I have no clue what music they listen to, what apps are on. And I don't care. Like, it's just, it's just not, you know, it's just not, uh, you know, in my, it's not, not in my mind at all. So the idea of like, you know, you know, somebody, you know, who's obviously attracted to, to kids, they're gonna know, and they're gonna, you know, be, be all up on that stuff. And the, uh, it, it, yeah, I think, you know, like when you were describing like the grooming, it's, you know, the, the crime, the crime itself is, is awful enough, but like the hunt, you know, hunting and preying uh, upon, you know, these, these young victims and all that just, it, it, it brings it to, I don't know, a level of evil. That, That's actually the most sinister part to me. Yeah. It's really fucking That's the most sinister. Upsetting. Part I, it's just for me personally, like for me, that's the part uh, that I still have trouble with, especially when women do it. I don't mm. know why. It's just like, wow, you knew what you were doing. And uh, mm. it's really evil. It is true evil. I didn't want to use that word for a long time, but it really is evil. Um, you know, in some instances, you know, a lot of instances, these abusers were also victims themselves. So it's something that they don't see as evil, but it it is evil. And, you know, we have to be, I mean, but this even goes for me, Lou. I mean, when I leave here tonight, it's going to be dark. I'm going to have to watch my back. I'm going to be carrying my stuff, you know, my lights. Mm -hmm. When I leave the office, it's, you know, it's, I got to still watch my back. And it's like, you got to kind of cross your T's and dot your I's. You know, and it doesn't mean that you won't, whomever, doesn't mean bad things won't happen. You can't stop everything bad from happening, but you can do little things along the way that will diminish the possibility. You know, when your children are, you know, when your children start playing on tech products, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking. I will, I wonder by the time your children are old enough <sighs> Playing on it. What is that even? Yeah, I mean, what is that going to be? Yeah, I'm wondering what that landscape will look like. Um, you know, I have some ideas of what what the what it will be, but um, and that is something I kind of focus a little bit of time on is um, what the next human trafficking iteration will look like. I have some ideas, but with um, you know, with your with your own story and everything that you've been through, um. You know, something something that I was thinking about, you know, is, you know, obviously where your family was during this, if you were communicating with them, like, uh, you know, where, you know, where were they when, when this was all going down? Like, did you ever reach out to them or, or vice versa? I did. Um, once it was over with, but I didn't have any language to put, mm. to, I just didn't. I didn't know what to say. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to get in trouble. I had tried to be punk rock and be like, oh, I'm going to Hollywood. There's nothing you could do to stop me because um, I thought I was badass. And I didn't want them to know that I had failed. It felt like failure. Um, so I wasn't honest. And I don't even know if I had been like, I don't know what would have happened. Um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I 
You know, it was a double-edged sword with me because I think if they would have been more strict and like forced me to stay home or forced me to go into some type of, because I was so um, rebellious that they would have probably had to put me in some type of lockdown situation before I turned 18. And then I'm sure once I turned 18, I would have gone off and done whatever anyway. So I'm, I am glad that they weren't overbearing to the point where that line of communication was never fully broken. Mm-hmm. And you know, how, you know, how, how have things been as far as, you know, relationships and friendships and, and, and that, I mean, do you, everything you've been through, do you have a tough time? Like, my parents, my parents and I don't talk about it too much, like ever, really. Mm. It's funny because in my real life, I don't talk about it too, too much. It's not like I'm like doing whatever else. Like before, you know, like I'm just, you know, chilling, vibing, like in my real, like and when I'm not doing this type of stuff, I was just telling because I just saw Tim Dillon had announced that he was going to be somewhere near me soon. And I hit up my best friend like, oh, I'm going to hit up Tim. I'm going to roll through the show. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to chill and vibe is it's not really a thing. Um, but my parents and I have a great relationship. Like, I think a really, really good relationship. I love them very deeply. Um, and my uh, friendships, you know, I will say this. I'm really uh, it's hard for me to trust. Um, and I watch people for a really long time before I even bring them into my friend circle. And then I super watch them before I I do business or engage in any type of romantic relationship with them. I mean, I watch them. I could be Mm -hmm. watching for a year. I watch how they respond to certain things and whether or not I want that energy around me. But part of that too, is knowing my worth. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing too, Lou, is that I got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm not wasting my time anymore with these people, like my time, I am valuable and I need to start acting like it. So, but that took me a long time. I mean, I'm almost 41. That took me a long time to like realize like, okay. I just turned, I just turned 40. Just turned oh, 40. Yeah? Four, oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy uh, birthday. <laughs> What'd you do? Uh, we had, um, let's see, on, on my birthday, um, I brought my, my wife and my kids to, to my parents in Queens so that was nice, uh, celebrating that. And then on um, the Sunday after my birthday, just had like, uh, you know, friends over to my uh, to my house. Very, oh. very, very low key. And now, now we have my uh, my son's second birthday coming up. He's born a month after me, and oh. that that's going to be like a, uh, a, you know, we started inviting people, and people are saying yes, and we're like, oh man, people are coming. Like we're going to actually have <laughs> like, oh, this is going to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, talking about like how you were saying, like, you know, your whole life isn't just, you know, talking about this stuff before before we got on this uh, on this uh, this podcast, I ate Chinese food way too fast and way too much. So my tummy is oh, and I'm 40. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. I've actually no, I was actually uh, talking to you. I've actually felt a lot better. But like okay. before, before we started, I was like, I ate too much Chinese food, way too fast, and <laughs> I guess this is. They would have given me a week to get a haircut. <laughs> this is forty now. I guess. Yeah. Well, my knees are starting to hurt bad, so I got to start working. Oh, really? Out. It's like yes, my knees are starting to hurt bad, and uh, you know, this is I'm getting older, Lou. Yeah. Pil- uh, do, you, do you ever do Pilates by any chance? No. So I mean, doing a thing. Mm -hmm. I got real complacent during the last two years. It's time to be back on my grind. You know, 
But these are the types of things I think about. But I'm just, you know, I'm just uh, trying to live my best life. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the best job I can do. And I try to just, you know, every day I'm like, dang, if this is my last day, like I want to go 110%, you know, but I do need to add in, you know, um, there are still ways in which uh, my trauma manifests and I haven't been fully transparent about that in public. And I'm wondering when the dam will break. I think it would be interesting if it did. And, you know, I'll probably get to a place where I feel more comfortable being transparent, but there's, there's some things you got to keep some of your cards close to the chest, Lou. Yeah. Can't be out here giving the full, you know. Yeah. Th- I, yeah. But I, what, I, what, I'm, what I mean to say is I think that, um, you know, food and some things like that and not taking care of myself the best way I could. Um, well, I don't even know if that's a trauma thing. I think that's just me being, being a lazy thing. But, you know, I'd rather sit around and on Twitter spaces or do whatever um, than – you know, hit my treadmill. I have I bought a freaking treadmill. Like it shouldn't be that hard. Oh, nobody but, uses nobody uses a treadmill. You just throw laundry on it. That's um, that, that's just how <laughs> that's just how it goes all the time. My cats jump up on it. They love it. My cats love it. But um, <laughs> no, but 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 I, I I hear you, especially like the me over the past like two years or so, like not working out the way that I used to, and and you know allowing myself you know, to pig out on it. it, Sometimes it's not even pigging out. It's just, you know, not getting enough of, you know, vegetables and, uh, and all that. It's, it, 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 it hits you. It's a real, it's a real thing for sure. It's really hitting, you know, but it's, you know, food. (coughs) Well, I'll be honest. I mean, the last two years has been a little weird. So I'm just trying to, I'm like, okay, girl, it's time to get back on your grind. So my hope is to be kind of back on my square by the time I go to Freedom Fest. Um, Because, you know, I'm like, I'm still, I'm not young, but I'm like, I still want to be the best I can be. So, and look good in Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. That's a, that's a way to put I want to look good in Vegas too. Let's keep it all the way real. I want to look good in Las Vegas. (laughs) And 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 I know that you'll get there, and okay. it's gonna be it's gonna be great seeing you there. If I don't see you uh, uh, beforehand, you know, I I thank you for the work that you're doing. It's opened uh, my eyes to a lot of stuff I didn't know was happening, um, and you know, and I'm, I'm I really hope that you know everybody listening to this, uh, you know, will check out more of your stuff and definitely check out your podcast. Please, I need, the reviews. I need those. I need the spins. Please, just turn it on. You don't even have to listen to it. It, it, that's what guys that's what i'm saying like you don't you could you could just be playing the you just play a play our podcast in the background listen to a different podcast whatever you just need those no, uh, it's really cool Lou, and i really appreciate you having me on i had stopped doing uh interviews i haven't done an interview since spike which is like probably too over i don't freaking know it's been a long time i quit doing interviews entirely because um, integrating, having the, cause I still work full time and then I do all the other stuff in public and then uh, integrating, doing the podcast as well, um, which is way harder than I ever thought it was going to be, uh, is been really hard to do promotion and to get guests, book the guests, study mm-hmm. before the guests. So I don't sound, you know, crazy and, um, you know, just getting everything right. And it was, it's been really hard. So I appreciate you waiting, but you have been, you're my first interview back. Um, I wanted, I told you I wouldn't forget. Oh, thank you very much. I got to go on and hang out with Lou 
And I'm just grateful that um, you're out here doing what you do. You know, I love I love all comedians and everybody. But on top of it, I know that you're a father that cares about your kids. And oh. that means a lot to me, too. So thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you, Eliza. I'm just going to end the broadcast and just keep you on for a sec. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join theluperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors, palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75 and Black Organic Cold Brew, B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. Use promo code Lou for free shipping. Thank you.